I'm going to invite you right now to bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this beautiful time, and thank you for the chance to worship in the high Sabbath. And now we pray that you bring us closer to the throne and that you would open up and reveal who you are to us, and that by seeing your face, we will be changed. By believing in your love, we will never be the same. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. And if this is your prayer with me, my brother, my sister, I'm inviting you all in the name of Jesus. Let's say together, amen? Amen. Amen. That was Faith, Faith, our middle daughter, daughter number two of three who read the scripture this morning, and that was really good. You did a good job, sweetie. And really, it's cool to be able to see your children reading the word, because it's good to see your children learn how to read, number one. And number two, to see them reading the Bible, that's even a greater blessing. But that's not where we're going to begin, because that's not really where our story begins. That's when Jesus came into the world. It's kind of like the middle of the movie, the New Testament. But our story and the meaning or the context of what happens in Luke 2 actually begins in the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is which number book in the Bible? Very first book. People say, wait a minute, you know, that's not when Christ was born. I know, I know, I know. That's not when he came in the flesh, but that's certainly not the first encounter that we have with him. Because we go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we're not going to go to the good part. We're not going to go to the part where it says what in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning, God created that. That's when it all started. That's when time began. That's when we stepped into eternity and we became the reality of what he had been thinking about all along. He had made all these things. We have no idea biblically what he created before Genesis 1. But I do know this, that when he made you and when he made me, he said, let us make man in our image. So think about that. In all of that time that he had, the Lord didn't have someone. The Lord didn't have something. He didn't have a creation that looked like him. But he decided to do something different and say, I'm, not, I'm, I'm already make. But now I want to make someone who looks like me. So he made our great, 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 great grandfather. Then our great, 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 great grandfather had to realize that the single life wasn't for him. He said, now that you realize that you need and that you're going to love someone like I love you, he put him to sleep. And what happens? He wakes up. And he wakes up with a wife. Follow that now. Look at how God operates. He operates not even because Adam asks. He operates because Adam needs. And when Adam wakes up, he sees a woman beside him. And the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and they begat children. But we didn't even get that far yet. Because the Bible says when you get to chapter 3, there was a situation where Adam and Eve got separated. And unfortunately, in this beautiful place, there was, yes, a perfect world, but there was a test. You need to understand that you can be in a perfect world, but you're still going to be tested. You can be a Christian. You can be a believer. You can be doing everything right, but still, there's always going to be a test. And for them, the test was to not touch a tree of good and evil. For them, the test was to not go to Google. Don't go to the place where there's all good and all evil, but I'm going to test you now and see if you can just focus on me. They failed that test. And when they got to know evil, look at what happened. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, I think it's around verse number, where we see verse number 8. Let's read together, church. It says in Genesis 3, verse 8, And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. All right, now, when we read together, that means we read together. We let the word speak to us. Let's try one more time, y'all. Verse 3, rather, chapter 3, verse 8. It says, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Sin makes you crazy. Sin will cause you to do things that you know don't even work. And they decided that they were going to hide from God amongst the trees that God had made. We see children do it every day when they play hide and seek. And I understand, you know, when the little children, I understand when Jael's age, when they get behind the tree, because they actually are smaller than the tree. But when I see these big fifth and seventh and, and sixth grade hiding behind a tree, 
It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, imagine a man about 15 feet tall, weighing nearly a ton, and a woman maybe around 13, 12 feet tall, a little bit lighter than that. We don't know. They're trying to hide behind trees. That's what sin makes us do. Sin puts us in places that are dark. Sin grows in places where there's no light. Like mold, where you have the moisture that allows that bacteria to birth, but the darkness that allows those bacteria to live. Sin drives you to secrecy that has you think that there's security in the secrecy. But Jesus makes it plain, not just in Matthew, not just in Gospels, but right here in Genesis, there's freedom and light. There's freedom and truth. And the truth of God is that he loves you. He loves us enough to come into our darkness to do what he does there in verse number nine. What does he do in verse number nine? And the Lord God what? Let's keep it simple. Who calls who? God calls who? And who is he specifically calling? Where are they? Not just in the garden. Let's tune that GPS. Hiding where God put them. Could you be hiding where God put you? Could you be hiding in church? The Bible says the Lord God calls them. And when he calls them, I'm glad he calls them. It does not say God screamed. It does not say God yelled. But he called. Why do you call instead of yelling? When I'm yelling at you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a piece of my what? I really have no interest in what you have to say. But the Bible says God calls. Why do we call? Because the ultimate goal is what? Yes, a response. I call you because I want you to come to me. But not only does he call them, the Bible says in verse number nine, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where are you? <laughs> Question, did the all-knowing God not know where they were? No. You know how they say, you know, you got to get up early in the morning, get one by me. Well, you can't get up early enough than him because he's never been to sleep. So him calling them and saying, where are you? It's a rhetorical question, because ultimately every question that God asks really is rhetorical. But he's calling them after they did what? After they sinned? You mean to tell me that we have a God, a creator, who pursues us after failure? Because we have no record of him calling them when they were in perfect harmony. They walked together. In fact, when he shows up, it was kind of like you have a customary time to walk the dog or, or have supper or, or have worship. This was the time when they got together. And he shows up for his date, but they don't. And he called them. So I thought we were going to have dinner today. I thought we had a walk today. I thought we were going to have lunch today. After he knew why they didn't show up. Jesus got stood up and he calls out to his date. And that call never stopped. Because now when you go to the book of Luke, chapter 2, it's in the same mind. It's when the same love that God is still calling to people hiding behind trees. Because when you go now to the book of Luke, and you look at Luke chapter 2, this is where we get the story that we normally call the nativity story, the story of the birth of Christ. And it says there, it says there in verse number one of Luke chapter two, that it came to pass. Coming to pass, meaning that we don't know exactly how much time, we have an idea of a few thousand years, but it came to pass, meaning as we kept doing what we were doing, it never stopped God from doing what he planned to do. So that's why it simply says, it came to pass. So it comes to pass that this little girl, really, technically, is giving birth now to this child, and she's espoused to this man, and the Lord does something marvelous. But even though God is doing something marvelous, very few people seem to care about it. 
I did not say very few people seemed to know about it. Because there were a lot of people who knew about what was going to happen. Who were some of the people, knowing our Bible story, our Bible knowledge, who were some of the people who knew where he was going to be born? Well, we have evidence to that, that remember when Jesus was finally born and word got out to Herod, King Herod, that King Herod got jealous. And he said, well, let's figure out where this king is. Who did he call? Who did he ask to find out where the king was going to be? He called the priests. He called those who had read what they would call the Hebrew scriptures. There were people who knew about the first advent. There were Adventists on earth when Jesus was born. They knew the date. They knew the timeline. They knew where he was going to be born. But they didn't know him. Herod called up the Adventists and said, where is he going to be born? And the Adventists said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He's going to be born to a virgin. He's going to be, they told him all the details. But they didn't know him. And when they didn't know him, the Lord was shunned and the enemy used their knowledge. He used their knowledge and their truth to accomplish the will of the enemy. Jesus was born in a manger because there were no homes available to him. It was not because he did not want to be born there. There were no rooms in the inn. And when Jesus was born in a manger, when Jesus was born in a barn, and when Jesus was brought into this world, there was nobody there to celebrate it. And when no one was there to celebrate it, the same God who was interested in having a date with humanity said, I've got to tell someone how I feel. So he got desperate. Because when the first Adventists heard what had happened, but they didn't know Jesus, he got desperate and said, I got to let somebody know that my son is here. I got to let somebody know that he's finally arrived. So what he does is he goes out, this time not into a garden, but he goes out into a field. He goes out into a field, and the Bible says at what time? Nighttime. Why would God go out into the middle of an empty field, a near-empty field, in the middle of the night? Because it's to show us that no matter where you are, no matter where we find ourselves, even if we're in a place that the GPS can't describe, even if we're there when there's no light, not even moonlight, in that moment, angels can break into your existence, and angels can tell you the good news. Because the Bible says there in verse number eight, as faith read, what does it say? It says, and there were in the same country, shepherds, shepherds, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. In the middle of the night, shepherds working the third shift. Anybody work or ever work that third shift? It can get pretty lonely. But you're just trying to survive, trying to make that dollar, trying to make it. They were in the middle of the third shift. The darkest point of night. Again, God is such a poet. And he comes and he gives them the good news. But how does he do it? He doesn't do it through email. He doesn't do it through text. He doesn't do it himself because if he came himself, he would have wiped out everybody he was trying to tell. So he said, I got to do the next best thing. I, gotta, I need my choir. I need some of my choir folks. I need you to go down there and let them know that it's on, that there's hope. That, that there's a gospel to be preached. So what happens there? It says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Who came to who? The angel came to them. The shepherds didn't go to them. The angel came to us, and what does the angel say? The angel says, oh yeah, well first it says, the glory of the Lord came round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel says to them, what in verse 10? Fear not. Why? Because from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that's been our problem. We've been afraid of God. And he knew he was not just talking to shepherds. He was talking to the great, 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 great grandsons of Adam. He saw Adam in them because he saw himself in Adam. He's not just trying to announce a birth. He's trying to bring new life into total darkness. And he's right there with us. And the angels come and they say, don't 
be afraid. And now he doesn't just give an empty uh, uh, encouragement or an empty promise. He says, fear not. Because why? What does it say? Verse 9? <laughs> what does it say in verse 10? He says, "What? fear not. For unto you, it says, I bring you good tidings of great. Oh, oh. He's so balanced. You know how Jesus said, they did worship me, worship me in spirit and in what? He says, I bring you good tidings. That's truth. I bring you something substantive. I bring you something meaningful and true. But I bring you good tidings of great joy. There's not just truth, but there's what? Spirit. What I'm about to tell you now is a mental reality that's going to manifest itself through emotional and, 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 and physical joy. It's going to hit you, and it's going to amaze you and move you. Because for to you this day, a son is given. A promise has been kept to Abraham. A promise has been kept to Isaac. A promise has been kept to David. Because I'm a promise keeper, this is a promise that has been kept even to Adam. Today is a birthday. It's good news. Now at that point, to be honest and to be transparent, it's just a baby. It's just a baby. And every baby is special. Every baby. Now they all look a little weird when they first come out. But they're still special. And this baby was special because this was God's, this was his, his uh, what do they call it? This was his opus. This was that point in the music where it's just like all going, and, da, 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 and it's right there. And this is when he says, this is it. He's finally here. And see, the reason why it was so special is because up to that point, even Lucifer, Satan himself, didn't know where the baby was. He was just another baby. In fact, Desire of Ages tells us that he was not affirmed of the presence or the reality of Christ until his baptism. When he spoke out and said, this is my beloved son in whom I, that's when he, that's, the, that's the one. And look how long it took him to then go into the wilderness and try to take him out. So before then, before he could laser in his attack, he did a blanket attack through Herod. And through Herod, he just said, well, let's just try to wipe out all of them because we don't know which one it is. Why would he try to wipe him out? It's not just about him. It was personal. It was about you and me. He didn't want the truth of God's love to get down to 2019. He knew the only way that he could keep you in addiction, the only way he could keep you hiding in hypocrisy, the only way he could keep you depressed, the only way he could make you live the life below standard is for Jesus to not come. He knew the only way that I would live in doubt, the only way I would hide myself, the only way I would continue to live in this circle and cycle of sin is if Jesus didn't come. Because when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to reveal to us. He's like a blank canvas that now is going to expose God. But God had to be exposed, not because God was hiding. Why did God have to be exposed? Because we were hiding. The people he told that he was coming, they didn't want to see him. Adam and Eve, our grandparents, they're hiding from him. So now he sends this baby. He sends this baby, and in the middle of the night, he's left to having to tell some stinky, poor, uneducated, but sincere shepherds that the greatest gift in the universe has arrived. And when he comes to those shepherds, the three things that it reveals to us is the truth of God's love. The fact of the matter is, the fact that he comes and he talks and he gives himself to these shepherds, the first thing it shows us about who God is, the first thing it shows us about the love of God, is that God's love is unending. Now, another way we would probably say that is that it's everlasting. But the thing that I don't like about the word everlasting is this, especially when it comes to love of God. It's the idea that if I were to take this pen and roll it on the stair, if that rolled forever, that would be everlasting, right? But it's not necessarily eternal. Because when I say it's eternal, what that means is, is that it has always been rolling. 
So I don't want you, and, and see, we think that God's love is, yeah, I agree it's everlasting. It'll go on and on and on and on. But it's not just everlasting because the Bible says very clearly that whom God loves, in fact, let me, let me not even try to misquote it. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, then we're going to go to Jeremiah. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, beginning there in verse number 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't think that God's love started in the manger. And don't even think that it started in the Garden of Eden. Because the Bible says also in Jeremiah, go back now to your Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 31, when it speaks about the love and the expression of God's character, Jeremiah chapter 31, I think it's around verse 3, it says this, yes, it says the Lord hath appeared of old. Now you know it's going to be old if it's in the Old Testament. How old? The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with a what? Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. In other words, he loved you before you became the reality that is your birthday. What's the big deal about that? Why is that important? Remember we talked about the funny looking babies when they come out, right? Excuse me, when the cute little babies come out, right? When the cute little, every baby, every mother's baby is cute to her, right? But do you know why that's the case? Because when the mother looks at the baby, the mother's not looking at a doctor. The mother's not looking at an accountant. The mother, she's not looking at a pastor. You know, even dad. Let me not leave dads out, and I'm a dad. Dads aren't just looking, and I see a, a, a singer. What is a dad looking at? that's my baby. Now, is that my baby because they're going to go and make a lot of money? Is that my baby because they're never going to mess up? That's my baby because that's my baby. So when you understand that God's love is everlasting, what that means is that means that that love predates you. And the reason why that is important, because that means that love does not post-date you. Meaning that what? God doesn't love you just because you make the right choice. Like if you do good, then he will love you. In other words, if I make the decision to accept him, then the ball is rolling and yeah, it's all good. But until that point, he's just kind of standing there waiting. Well, I mean, you figure out what you're going to do. And when you figure out what you're going to do, that'll depend on whether or not I love you. That's not what he says in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was speaking to Israel when they were apostate. When they were about to go into 70 years of captivity, Jehovah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, meaning it predates you, meaning that whether you choose to love me or not, I love you. And I don't love you anymore because you obey me, and I don't love you any less when you disobey me. If you need a reference, think about your mother. If you're a good mother in Christ, think about how you feel about your children. It doesn't matter what they do. That's still my child. When they act a fool, that's my crazy daughter. That's my crazy daughters right there. When they do right, oh man, those are my beautiful girls. When they're afraid, those are my scared daughters. When they're acting silly and laughing, like right now, that's my laughing daughters. See, the, the, what's that word, Miss Bailey? Help me out in English. What's the word? When I say funny, funny is an adjective, right? Okay, good. Just want to make sure I'm right. The adjectives change, but the nouns never do. They're my blank daughters. Nothing will change that. Nothing. And if that's what sinner and sinners to their children? You think we're better than God? You think his love ends? His love depends on what we do? No. It's unending, everlasting. But that's not all. 
Because in the fullness of time, when they finally got this baby, they were seeing the unending, everlasting love of God, but they were also seeing the unselfish, the unselfish love of God. The unselfish love of God. Well, why is that? Well, we've already kind of painted some pictures of where all this stuff happened. The unselfish love of God in that they were in a field, but where was the baby located? In a manger. Does the Bible say, like, what manger? Absolutely not. I mean, we don't even name pots today. You may have a favorite pot or favorite flower at home, but you don't have a name for it. We don't know where or what stall he was in. We don't know whether or not it was a hotel, like it was the barn at, like, a comfort inn. Or was it, like, the, 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 the barn at, like, you know, the Four Seasons? We don't know. Why did God leave those details out? So nondescript. Just the city. Just so that we will know it was a dirty little city. So you already know that if it was a dirty little, little city, that if the place in that dirty little city wasn't even described, that's where the Savior of the world was born? Yeah, because what he was trying to illustrate is his unselfishness. He was trying to illustrate what Paul talks about in Philippians. Let's go there real quick. Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, he was trying to show us, look, my love is before you. My love will be after you. And not only that, Philippians chapter 2, he's showing my love is all about you. My love is others-centered. So in this context, God's love is you-centered. See, human love, this, this, this phileo love, even this eros love that's spoken of naturally and in the flesh, our love, the person that we love the most in this world naturally is who? Ourselves. It's a self-love. It's a self-preservation. We do that. Babies don't immediately come out into the world crying for milk because they care and they think that their mother's lonely and they need companionship. Why do babies cry for milk? Because they're hungry. Did they run that by the board? Did they ask Ma, hey Ma, good morning. I know it's 2 o'clock. You had a long day. Are you good now? Because we could probably do this at 5. Do babies do that? No. They cry because they're hungry. And because they want it, they ask for it. That's how we come into the world, the Bible says in Romans 7. We naturally try to take care of ourselves. But that's our love. God's love is totally different. It's others-centered. And for its creation, it's us-centered. So when you get to Philippians chapter 2, why does he do with this? It says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, colon, but made himself what? Of no reputation. Do we know the name of the manger? Do we know the name of the stall? Do we know the name of the hotel? We only know the city. Made himself of absolutely no repute. Why? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a... All the above. Everyone just... I heard someone say human. Yes, that's important. I heard someone say servant, yes. But then I heard someone say another S word, and that word is slave. That Roman word, that Greek word, doulos, a slave. He was God who made himself a slave. Well, by definition, follow that through. What does every slave have? A master. So who does Jesus now come to be a slave to? Or you may not be comfortable with that yet. Let me just say it this way. Who does he come to be a servant to? I heard somebody say, a servant to who? Jesus came to be a servant to. Do you understand that? That makes communion real again, I hope. Because it, three years in, Three years, when they should have had their masters in Jesus by then, they're still sitting in a room trying to figure out who's going to be first. And Jesus is looking around saying, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? He's looking for the graduation. He's looking to see who's, he said, like, okay, Peter, he always has a big mouth. He probably, oh, no, he's still trying. Okay, maybe Nathaniel. Nathaniel. When, remember when Jesus first saw Nathaniel, he said, this is a real Israelite. I see no fault in him. 
but not even Nathaniel does it. He's waiting for them to show what they've learned. And what does a good teacher do? Does he fail them? Does he call them out? He knows Philippians 2 before Philippians 2 was even written. They have forgotten the truth. Just because you forget it doesn't mean it's not truth. I'm here to serve. He takes off his outer robe. He gets down. He gets water. He gets a rag. And he washes 24 stinky feet. That's 240 toes. 240 toes of toe jam. 240 toes of dirt. 240 toes of dirt that was gone from places they should have never been. But he kneels down and he washes every single one before, all before he feeds them. Oh, thought it not Robbie to be equal with God, but took on the form of a even before he could talk. Because he wanted to show you that when he gets up in the morning, quote unquote, you know what the first thing is on his mind? Thank you. You. See, that's why morning worship is morning worship. Because he never sleeps. He never slumbers. Because he stays up thinking about you. See, you, got, you have to understand when people say, you know, you know, you say when you're about to spank your child, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, nah, no way. That's, that, nah, I'm not feeling that. That can't be true. We say on the one hand, we should spend time with the Lord. We should talk to him. Yes. But we should do that because he wants to spend more time with you than you and I want to spend with him. Because he has nothing else to do but think about you. Think about it. See, if I don't go to work, we won't eat. If we don't go and drive, we won't get where we need to go. What is it that the, what is it that Jesus has to do in a day? He's got all by, there's nothing else to absorb or to take his time but you. In actuality, God is a stalker. He has lost his perspective. That's why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son was the prodigal son because he had a prodigal father. The word prodigal is not lost. By definition, a prodigal is someone who wastes their resources. What made the prodigal son a prodigal was what? He wasted. But what did he waste? Specifically, what did he waste? He wasted what his father gave him. And so what does the father then in turn do to respond to his waste? He gets, somebody said it, he gives him more. Because the only reason why the father spent all of that time trying to amass wealth was so that he could have something to give to his children. The only reason God does what he does, the only reason God creates what he's creating is so that you and I will have something to inherit. His poverty, his, his poverty is defined by the fact that you are wealthy. He doesn't seek the accumulation of matter because he is matter. He doesn't need more matter to matter. What allows him to exist, what allows him to thrive is his capacity to give away what he is. Otherwise, he would self-destruct. So when the Bible says that he exists before us and he says, and says, I need someone to look like me, he is doing that with an anxiousness, knowing, knowing that without you, there is no him. So he sent a baby in the middle of a bucket so that nobody could say, he's not for me. He's not for me. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too low. You can't get lower than a manger because where do mangers sit? Mangers sit on the floor. And Jesus was born on the floor. I don't even put my Bible on the floor. And the one who wrote the Bible, the one who is the Bible, he was born on the floor. To show you that all he thinks about every single day of your life is you and me. 
But that's not all. Because his love is everlasting, unending. His love is unselfish. But here's the last one for the day. It's not the last one that is. It's just the last one for today. Because it's not the last one because there is no last when it comes to God. Woo! Revelation says, I'm Alpha and Omega. You know what? Oh, oh, okay. All right. This is not the last one. But this one's important. So I just say, Lord, what are the people of God? What does Tallahassee first need to hear today? This is what he said. They need to know that my love is unending. They need to know that my love is unselfish. But they need to know that my love, my love is unconditional. Unconditional. Okay, all right. How so? How so? The Adventists had missed the first Advent, and so he had to go find some people to tell. So he's back here in Luke 2. Let's go back to Luke 2. He's back there in Luke 2, and he's trying to look around, find people. Who can I tell? Who can I tell? So he tells these shepherds. He tells these shepherds because these shepherds are in the field by night, and these shepherds are on the lower caste of society. These are people who work with animals. I've been to the zoo. We don't have a zoo here. Do we have a zoo here? No, we don't have a zoo here. But I've been to the zoo, and I don't really like zoos anymore for a lot of different reasons. But one reason I don't like zoos a lot because I don't like how they smell. I'm really big on smell. My family would get on me all the time. You know, like I'll like breathe through my mouth whenever I go into a restroom or if I go into a place I'm not really sure about, you know, I'll go mouth breather mode and be like, but I try to do it on the low so that people don't feel offended, but I'm really sensitive to smell. So my memory's not really good. That's why Lord gave me tar to always remember all the details, but my smelling is sharp. I can't handle that smell. So the reality is these shepherds, they're always working around animals. How do they smell? They don't smell very good. I'm not really big on Bible history, but I'm pretty sure porta potties probably came around in the 20th century. So these are brothers who work out in a field with animals, and there's no restrooms. Now, guys, you know how we do when we're out in nature, how we're on our own doing our own thing. And when we're right here at church, we, we hopefully, by God's grace, we're cleanliness is next to you know, godliness. We're washing after. We use the restroom. Do you think these brethren took the liberty, had the luxury to go to an indoor restroom? No. But do you then think that they had the opportunity? Well, they went outside, but somebody had a ready wipe or a handy wipe. No. So these brothers are roughing it. They go to the restroom in the woods, and then they don't wash their hands after they do it. Ooh, why are you talking about this in church? Because, because you're worried about dirty hands? When I have an awesome God who sees dirty hearts? And the Lord says, I'm going to go to men with dirty hands, men with dirty clothes in a dirty field, and tell them, fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy because today somebody's born to clean up all this mess. Oh, you worried about your washed hands. Oh, you worried about washing your face. I'm talking about someone who's been born to cleanse you from sin. Not just the sin that you do, but your very nature changing who you are. That day, Jesus came to show us what Paul tells us in Romans. Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 as we bring this thing home in Romans chapter 5 and in verse number 8. What does the writer say? The Bible says that when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't come to us when our hands are clean. He doesn't come to us when our clothes are clean. He doesn't even come to us when we ask him. He comes to us because he wants to be with us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, I need us to read this one together. What does it say, church? But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. No, 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 no. That has to mean... When we stopped sinning, maybe Paul was up late that, you know, he was in and out of jail. That has an effect on you. Maybe he meant to write, after we figured it out, 
Christ. Well, no, what, what, after we repented, you know, we turned, we said, and we, after we said we're sorry. That's what it says, right? Mm-mm. It says what? While we were yet sinners, meaning while we were in the activity of sin, he gave us his love. Meaning that he gives himself to us, not just before we ask, he gives himself to us even when we don't want him. We all know about junk mail, right? Junk mail is a reality in this world. Now we got electronic junk mail. And we got all these filters up and you know, they've kind of refined it and they've gotten better with it. But have they gotten perfect with it? No. What do you do with junk mail? Throw it away. Some of you shred it. Some of you are conscientious, you recycle it. I recommend you recycle it. Make some good out of all that junk mail. But does it stop coming? Guarantee you, when you go to the mail after sunset today, amen, church. When you go to the mailbox after sunset today, when the sun is set and you go to that mailbox, you're probably going to have one piece of junk mail. You're going to throw that piece of junk mail away. But guess what? When you go to that mailbox on Monday morning, what's going to be in that mailbox? Probably junk. Why? Why? Because there's somebody who's desire to get you as a consumer. There's someone who's desire to get you as a customer that's stronger, stronger than your rejection of them. In other words, they know they've got numbers on their side. Meaning that they hit you with junk after junk after junk. One day, you're going to buy that easy popper muffin maker. You're just going to give in. One day. So they continue to rely on the volume of numbers, the volume of persistence, knowing that in spite of every time you throw it away, that's okay. One day. That's okay. One day. We then now, they're driven by a prophet have a God who's driven by a promise. Do you think because you put his grace, do you think because we take his love and throw it away that that's going to keep him from coming at you? Because for every letter that you throw away, he's going to send two blessings. Wait, well, how can you say that? Are you trying to say God blesses our sin? No, what I'm trying to say is what Jeremiah says. Remember what we read at the very beginning where it says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Meaning, this is why when David was looking and he was looking at the wicked and saying, why is it that the wicked is ble- are blessed, but I'm suffering trying to do the right thing? Because God is trying to draw us all with loving kindness. And the farther you are away from him, the more junk mail he sends. Junk to us, but what it is is grace to him. So it's not that he's blessing or condoning their life. It's because he's trying to work harder to win them to surrender to his love. Therefore, they are being blessed, even though they're blaspheming. That's a paradox, and it's supposed to be, because I'm not the creator. I don't help people who hurt me, but he does. I don't like or love people who don't like or love my family, but he does, because he loves people who don't like his son. Because his love is not based on who we are. Unconditional love is based on who he is. That's why his grace is amazing. That's why the circumstances that shaped his birth were such. It was not to exalt poverty or to make poverty more spiritual. It was to show us that when we have nothing, and that when we are in darkness and when we are out working a third shift trying to survive on our own, we have a God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it's there in verse number 9, it says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. In return for our working a third shift in the dark, he says, I offer you what you're working for freely. And I give it to you freely, not because you deserve it, but because I desire to give it to you. I made it for you. I did it for you. All I need you to do is believe. Just believe. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him, they will not perish, but have everlasting love. Church, this is the gift. We don't have the benefit of a baby. We don't have the benefit of a picture, but we do have the benefit of his reality. Jesus' love is unending. Jesus' love is unselfish, and his love is unconditional. The only thing he's asking for us is the very same thing he was asking of those priests, the very same thing he was asking of those shepherds. Will you let me in? I'm knocking on the door. Is there room in your inn? Can I get in your inn? Can I be where you are? Because I'm thinking about you all the time. And I'm not thinking about you just in, 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 in the partial sense. I'm thinking about you in every sense. And, and, and the servant of the Lord says that when he sees us, because of who he is, remember, unending and eternal, he does not see us as we are, but he sees us as we will be when we believe in his son. I'm making a specific appeal. And that is that we would recognize this is still our good news. This is still the truth to us. And what God is asking for us to do more than anything, because he cares less about a date. He cares less about a season. He cares most about us. And the value of this time now that we have that's called probation is to simply accept the love of God. Now, why is this important? This is important because many of us are bearing the burden of our pasts. And I am, as the older I'm getting, one of the things I'm realizing is how much brokenness there is in this world. See, for the longest time, I thought that brokenness was just people crying, you know, a child or a baby crying. But brokenness is all over the place. Now, look at people and the lifestyles that they're choosing and, and the decisions that they're making. They are desperately seeking out to medicate those broken pieces. When I look at people doing things and committing themselves to people that they really don't love or doing things that they really don't want to do and they're just settling for it, it's because they think that that's all that they deserve. That's all that they really should ask for. And we have a God, the Bible says he is more willing to give us food than we are giving to our children. And I don't want anybody to leave this church today thinking that there's something else that you've got to do for God to love you anymore or that there's something else that you've done or something that you've said that he can't overcome or forgive. The purpose why this church was built was that we have moments just like this right now. So what I want to invite us to do now is we bow our heads and close our eyes, and we go into a mode of reflection. And we really think within ourselves and say, Lord, what is it that is broken? What is it, Lord, that I'm still trying to use to qualify myself for a Savior who was humble enough to be born into a manger? There's no reason for you to doubt his love. One reason you know that you're doubting that love is when you can't give that love to other people. When your love has been handicapped or in some way it has been altered to now your love is conditional. I will treat her right when she acts right. or When he acts like he has some sense, then I'll come around. This kind of mismatch, uh, this kind of, of, of patchwork, we can't build a movement on that. We've got to be able to love our children no matter what they do. We've got to have a love that transcends our spouses, and we love them because they're our spouses. And we do what is right not just to save souls. We do what is right because we love people. Love starts at home. Love starts here, and it starts at the foot of the cross. Jesus, there is nothing between us and you. You took us from the earth, and then thousands of years later, you were born on the earth. You came so that we would not have to medicate our issues. We would not have to hide behind trees that are smaller than our frames. But now, now there is one tree that you seek for us to hide behind. There is one tree, and that tree is your cross. Now we can step out of the junipers. We can step out of the willows. We can step from behind the oaks and hide behind the cross of Calvary. And because of what you've done, we can look in the mirror and say, I'm forgiven. Because you were born, lived, and died on our tree, we can say, I'm free. I'm going to say this again. Because of what you did on that tree, we can say, Jesus, I am free.
There is no reason for a cycle. There's no reason for repetition. Now is the season of righteousness. Now is the time for us to look at sin and not just rebuke it, but walk on by. Jesus, we want victory in this church today, and we're praying for it right now in this moment. Brother, sister, praying right now, hide behind the tree. The good news is that you can hide behind the tree. Get behind Jesus and say, Jesus and you, I pray now. Whatever it is on your mind, whatever that thing is, whatever, how many years it passed by, let's not take the mess of 2019 into 2020. Not that the calendar is significant. It's because the future is important. Because God sees you as you will be. Now he needs you to believe it. Lord, we're praying right now and asking for you to forgive and atone for these things. Take them from us, please. And now, because of who we are, in the time or in the passing of time, there's going to be the desire to want to bring those things back in. To want to go back to the old way of what we used to do and how we used to treat people. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit in that moment, you will remind us. You'll remind us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Now, check that verse closely. 2 Corinthians 5 does not say that they won't remember it. But don't think because you, don't rem- or you, you, you still remember your sin that it's not forgiven. The Lord did not give you the capacity to forget because he didn't want us to do that thing again. But when the enemy reminds you of who you used to be and reminds you of what you used to do, that is when you remind him of the word of God and you hide behind the tree. Because no one who hides behind the tree can be touched. No one who hides behind or hides in Jesus will be lost. Like the ark of old, they will be saved through the time of the flood and they will behold the glory of the Lord. Not in a rainbow, but in the son of God himself. Father, we pray today for this change, and we thank you for the opportunity to turn to you because you never turn from us. And now with this prayer in mind, if you were visiting today, if you came here, you were looking for something, or even you may have realized, wow, someone found you, and that's Jesus. We want to invite you to be a part of our family. We're looking to Jesus. We're looking to our Savior, and we want you to look with us. And you want to become a member of this church today. And if you're not, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and join the household of faith. If you're not a part of the people of God, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your number one, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and say, I accept him today. And for those of us who are praying, praise God. And for those of us who are praying, continue to pray. And God bless you. God bless you. Those who've risen your hand as we put our hands down now, Lord, we all stand in the same spot now. And we pray that in your name that you will keep us that we will never doubt your love for us, and that it will continue to shake us to the very core, to shake us loose from this world and to abide in the joy of the Lord, the joy that comes from loving and being loved by you. So, Father, keep us leaving this place but never from your presence and never forgetting that you are love. Amen.